Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. Ooh, it's The Other Castle, and we're spooky this week. Oh, it is a spooky as fuck episode today, isn't it? I'm Andrea. And my name is Tom. And we are The Other Castle. This podcast brings you the plot, lore, and more behind all your favorite video games. That means we get into the production, the creators, the story behind the story, and then the actual story itself in kind of an auditory walkthrough version of the game. And this episode is a follow-up to a very early episode for us. Yeah, you know, I went through a phase where like all I wanted to do is play indie horror games for a while. I think, you know what? We all went through 2017 together, right? Like the whole gaming world went through that phase. <laughs> and, you know, to that point, we did Little Nightmares 1 a couple of years ago. And if you've already heard it, no, you didn't. This is going to be a lot better. Today we're covering Little Nightmares 2. Yeah, as being an early episode for us, it's not our best work. <laughs> but that's okay. We'll just move on. Appreciate yeah. <laughs> the show from here. You know what? The show's like Parks and Rec. The first few, like, took a while to get our shit together, find the rhythm. We got there. It's fine. And as a result, we announced that at the end of last episode, we will be archiving 10 episodes from season one and two, as they just don't represent the show that we do today. Yeah, it's, it doesn't follow the same format anymore, so it's not particularly aligned with the core of what we're trying to do, so... And as a way to like show you which episodes those are, because we're not going to just list them off right now, there's new episode artwork up. And so if there is old episode artwork, it means those episodes are going away. Ooh, like an Easter egg, like a scavenger hunt. Yeah, so at the end of this season, we're going to take those episodes down. So you've got plenty of time to download them if you want to save them or something. But we will be uploading them to our Patreon, Ooh. where you can support the show and come and listen. And during the off season, we'll make sure that we always have a new episode up every month. We have a newsletter. We have all sorts of merchandise available. We have some really cool things. You can find all that out at theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. Wait, isn't there a Discord? And there is a Discord. So if you'd like to join us on our Discord, you are welcome to do that as well. Just hit us up on Instagram. We'll send you an invite from there. You have to get a direct invite. We don't have the clout to get the open invite link yet. Not quite oh. yet. No, there's not <laughs> enough Goombas around just yet to do that. So in Damn order to it. get enough Goombas, you got to join up. Oh, speaking of Goombas, happy birthday, Tijan. Yes, happy birthday, Tijan. He is one of our very first Goombas. And so just turned 18, wanted to give you a special shout out. A very happy day for Tijan, a very spooky day for everyone else. Right. Today, we're covering Little Nightmares 2. Now, like we said, we did cover the first one. I think you can play this game without knowledge of the first one. I think this kind of works as a standalone piece. I agree entirely, yes. And so with that knowledge, we're not going to get too far into the nuts and bolts of the first one. So if you aren't familiar with the first one, totally okay to jump in with this episode. Completely fine. We will talk about the first episode and spoil what happens in that one, definitely. But also, it's just because there are some timeline issues and there are questions and stuff like that. So we want to try to piece that together. Anyway, Little Nightmares 2 came out in February of 21, about four years after the first Little Nightmares came out. This was launched across Stadia, Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. It's since come out on PS5 and the new Xbox, so it's very accessible. Yeah. Little Nightmares is the most recent game from Tarsia Studios, which I mispronounced in the first episode. Also, just skip it. It's fine. You're here with me now. <laughs> We're good. Who are the same developers behind the first game. 
They are a Swedish studio house that paired with Bondi to distribute the whole Little Nightmares franchise. And Bondi's just doing shit. I love them. They own arcades now, just like straight up cabinet arcades. And I'm not just talking about like one singular cabinet. I mean, like an arcade room that has cabinets and fucking like throw a basketball in a hoop and win tickets to get a Squishmallow shit. I mean, Pac-Man saved the arcade industry once. So yeah. it makes sense that Bondi would do that. Yeah, but they're just doing shit. And I really like seeing them go off. Like, it's fascinating to see these old school developers and houses really evolve. Like, there was talk of an Atari hotel for I was for just going to say that, yeah. Yeah, no, but it's fascinating to see how they are forced to adapt to new culture. And, you know, if they can't keep up, per se, like, console-wise, like, Sony and Microsoft really have the world's in a fucking headlock on consoles, you know, and even Steam Deck is like kind of scrambling to get people out there. But right. man, it's really fascinating watching like Bondi and Atari like come up and find new ways of touching things. Anyway, they're touching all over the Little Nightmares franchise, which is great. Tarsia announced the game at Gamescom 2019, which was in Germany. So Gamescom is the European E3. Basically, there's a lot of announcements. There's studio presentations, all sorts of cool shit. Little Nightmares 2 was actually announced opening night of Gamescom 2019, which is a really big deal. You know, that's like fucking everyone's there. They're all excited. It's the big welcoming party. And this announcement also dropped alongside the trailer for Gears of War 5 and was a huge fucking splash. A lot of people were talking about the announcement for the sequel to Little Nightmares 1 because Little Nightmares 1 was a huge splash. Like when I talk about very flippantly, <laughs> the horror wave of 2017. Little Nightmares 1 came out in April of 2017. And we're talking the wave of Bendy and Undertale, FNAF, Hello Neighbor, all that shit where it's just like these under 10 hour games that are spooky as fuck have really interesting takes on art, very immersive aesthetic that you kind of want to live in and really creepy lore. Usually some dead kids involved, like <laughs> so many dead kids and yeah. little nightmares, especially. Yeah, especially in this one. <laughs> you know, we joked about this season just covering a lot of games with friendship with like Life is Strange and Uncharted and like these really iconic like duos, like Kingdom Hearts, you know, all about friendship. There's a partnership. There's a partnership. <laughs> That's about the best you can say though. But man, we're we're getting into some shit here with this one. So a lot of the crew from the first game, including the writer. Dave Mervick came back from the first game to oversee Little Nightmares 2. And the writer Mervick has given interviews on some of his inspirations for the franchise. And he's referenced the term carnival-esque as a major aesthetic point for the Little Nightmares universe. And when we say carnival-esque, that is the aesthetic of these deformed beings and freak show style shapes and things like that, which I think you're nodding. I think you've totally get what I'm putting down here. I wasn't at first, but once he started saying like the freak show aspect of it, I was like, okay, now I'm starting to get it. I'm thinking more carnival than I am thinking of like carnival when (laughs) he's talking about it. Cause I'm just trying to think, I'm like, I don't see circus clowns or anything like that. I don't see a Bertram Piedmont in this whole scenario. (laughs) But, you know, I'm emceeing, like, what you said, the, the freaks of nature, that, that kind of situation. Sorry, that's what they referred to him back then. I'm not trying to say anything bad about people. Oh, certainly. But it's just that that was, the freak show was a big part of it. Yeah, exactly. That freak show. And, you know, I'm a tattooed lady. They're, uh, <laughs> I probably qualify for one 100 years ago. But, yeah, when you think of that, like, 1920s, like, Coney Island, traveling circus kind of shit of people with, like, bumps on their back being like, ah, it's a ghost and shit like that. Is that a thing that happened? 
Probably. I don't know. My dad is a boomer and told me a story about going to New Jersey with his dad to see a horse jump off of a building into the ocean. Oh, so, I've like, heard about that horse. Yeah. It's like documentaries about that horse. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. And I was like, that's just what you did for fun. And he was like, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> shit was crazy. And I was like, that's fucking wild. So, you know, weird shit entertained people back in the day. That's my core concept here is that entertainment has evolved. <laughs> Instead God. of watching freak shows live, we watch them now that they're animated. We create them in our minds. We create our own little nightmares. <laughs> the game's lead producer, Lucas Russell, has also cited comic books, art, and actual nightmares he and other people on the team have had in terms of building the aesthetic, the world, and the characters in the Little Nightmares franchise. It's amazing they all have like nightmares in the same art style. That's really cool. You know, it's crazy how <laughs> <laughs> if you all drink from the same acid vat, it, uh, <laughs> it's crazy how same nature does ayahuasca that. trip they went on. Yeah. <laughs> so the macabre atmosphere did pay off with the game scoring like high 70s, low 80s across the board, which... Doesn't sound great, but honestly, that's pretty solid, like, for being real. Yeah, I'd agree with it. I agree with it, yeah. And, you know, perhaps more importantly than those reviews, it moved a million units in the first month of release worldwide. For a small game like that, that's really impressive. Yeah, for something that's under 10 hours, like, kind of bare bones in terms of perhaps structure of the game. You know, there are games that are certainly more complex in terms of playability and story structure and character development and shit, but I don't think it's fair to call this game simple, excuse me, but certainly for a game that's not particularly cerebral or complex to play. I get what you're saying, because like with the first game, for example, you got to interpret a lot. Yes. And the same with this one, frankly, there's no dialogue. Right. However, I'd say this one's a little bit more straightforward on that sense. I agree. I don't think you have to interpret nearly as much in this one. I think they took a lot of the things that we were interpreting in the first one, and they were just like, no, let's just take everything very literal. Yeah, I think there were certainly a lot of learnings from the first one in terms of how can we deliver the story in a very digestible way that still works worldwide. And to the point of having no dialogue, I think this also performed well worldwide because there is no dialogue. So you can pick this up in any country in any language and it makes sense yeah entirely that makes it a very very accessible game around the world yeah accessibility is a great word thank you and within the six month point after release they moved two million units so it's doing great worldwide frankly for again under 10 hours no voice performances just fucking creepy shit i think also the puzzles in this one are a bit easier yeah, I agree. I think there's a couple that are a little tricky, but I believe that the playability is more straightforward in the sense of if I do this, X will happen. Like your consequences feed much faster right. than in the first game. And before we also get into it, I do want to note that, like I said, the first one came out in April of 2017. There was a mobile game called Very Little Nightmares, which is the cutest goddamn name for a mobile title. Right. That came out in May of 2019, and then another two years later, Little Nightmares 2 came out. So we're getting a, an entry every two years, which should mark 2023 as the next one, but the developers have said they are not working on three. Please stop asking. <laughs> yeah, and I did the uh, Very Little Nightmares, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, making it our first mobile game we'll have ever talked about. Well, we did do a game that played on the Tesla, and if you want to talk mobility, a vehicle's pretty <laughs> hard to knock off the top spot okay cuphead notwithstanding 
everyone except for Cuphead. I actually did play The Wolf Among Us on an iPad, so fuck, calling a mobile game in this world Very Little Nightmares is so fucking funny to me. Ugh, are you ready? Oh, I'm very ready. This is Little Nightmares 2. The game opens on a dark hallway. As the camera moves down the hallway, we come upon a door that has an eye carved into it. The screen shakes, and then we wake up as a little boy with a brown paper bag on his head. He's in a dark forest alone with a broken TV near him. There are a few broken TV sets throughout the forest that we can see in the background and the foreground, and this little boy looks around. He is alone. The baghead boy is Mono, our protagonist. Now, like I said, zero dialogue. There are not pop-ups that tell you, hey, it's me, Amano. But by going into some of the Bondi content for this, I was able to get names and specific titles for people. So we're going to go with that. But just so you know, you can kind of call him whatever you want. When we were going through it, I was like, yeah, fucking bag boy, let's go. So we're kind of going by like Five Nights at Freddy's rules here. In terms of, that's phone guy and chica? Yeah, some people have names, some people don't. Some are official names, some are kind of fan-made names. Oh, like Purple Man, but maybe William Afton and shit like that? Yeah, that kind of stuff. (laughs) I feel you, I feel you. Bondi and the team has said this is mono, so we're gonna go with that. But to your point, yeah, there's not names that pop up. You're not like, oh, it's fucking mono. You know, we're just rolling with it. Right. Mono runs down a path, and this forest is decrepit as shit. There's fog rolling in and there's debris everywhere. Your screen is dark blue, dark green, and gray as we explore this forest. One of the first things Mono comes on is a bag full of bodies tied up in a tree. Flies are swarming this bag and it's clear that the bodies have been dead for some time. It's so gross. There's just like legs sticking out and like blood dripping and stuff. And let's talk about real quick about the graphics in this, too. Yeah. Because Little Nightmares 1 had phenomenal graphics. Oh, absolutely. And the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series versions, like the most current versions of this game, are absolutely stunning. They are gorgeous. I have not seen a 2D platformer like this in terms of just this much level of detail. Yeah. And also, what I really liked about the change from Little Nightmares 1 to Little Nightmares 2 is the depth of field that they go for. Mm. Because in Little Nightmares 1, yeah, it's very much a 2D platformer. You know, you don't really go backward and forward into the foreground very much. Right. But in this one, you really can explore kind of a, a bit more of an open world, if anything. That's true. You know, the maps are deeper to your point, And there is a lot of opportunity to discover hidden things and unlock things. And just environmentally, there is a lot more that you can play with, certainly, from the first one. Yeah, except for like the fact that the camera is always in that stationary, it's where the term comes from, that imaginary fourth wall. Mm. And so that's how the camera follows this entire game. However, as the character, yeah, you can go far deep. Like you can go down a hallway, for example, to another door where you couldn't do that in the first game. That's true. Yeah, there's a lot of just technical pieces that they upgraded from one to two that are phenomenal. And considering the short amount of time that they knocked this shit out in, I mean, I'm I'm living in the rock star world where we're never going to see Grand Theft Auto 6 in my <laughs> lifetime. But, <laughs> you know, this is really fucking great. It'll be 84 years. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we all the Titanic meme thinking about the next one? Uh, and we're never getting three for Little Nightmares 3, so just don't even fucking ask. That's going up on that shelf of third titles that will never come down. <laughs> They're trying to be like, well, Valve got away with it. Right. 
when we come up on this bag, it's unclear if this is a warning or a trophy. Just fucking horrifying. Right. Because it looks like one of those snare traps. Yes. Yes. I was trying to think of what they're called, where you put your foot down and the weight pulls you straight up. Yeah. And you're in like a sack. Yeah. Leaves die off of branches and slowly fall down all around Mono. As he traverses through this horribly morbid terrain, at one point he actually has to use a noose to get across an area of the map. This is a forest of just pure death. And in comparison to the first game, too, we talked about like how it felt like it was like from the perspective of a child. That's why everything's so much bigger and everything. Here, I really just think you're like gnome-sized. Yeah. <laughs> and how big would you say a gnome is? A gnome? I mean, God, six inches tall. Yeah. You know, just about that tall. It, it, not much taller. And I don't think it's supposed to really be a metaphor of a child. I think we live in this world where gnomes are people creatures and yeah. they coexist with monster creatures. They're sentient. They're doing their own thing and they have to coexist with another group that yeah. they can't outperform necessarily because they're little. Entirely. So similarly to the first game, we also come up on some loose collected shoes that are being picked at by a bird. Mono can use one of these shoes to set off a trap, which is clearly how the last group of corpses were caught. There are plenty of traps throughout this forest, including bear traps sized for these small kind of gnome-like figures like Mono and some larger ones like these monster figures that you've just alluded to that we will meet very shortly. Right. Some traps are out in the open, and some are hidden under brush and leaves and shit, so it becomes a matter of knowing where traps are and setting them off to avoid getting trapped yourself. A 44% of players have avoided all of the bear traps in this forest, while the rest did not. Oops. <laughs> the deaths here aren't too bad either, though, I'll have to admit. It just goes black pretty quick. Yeah, and you do regenerate pretty quickly and typically right around where you were, so it's not a pain in the ass. Yeah, I kind of wish we had a bit more like violent death scenes like Last of Us or even like Dragon's Lair or something like that. Jesus. <laughs> Bloodlust? <laughs> a little bit. If it's a game where you're going to die a lot, you might as well make the deaths fun. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, we've been doing this show for too long. <laughs> and you're complaining that the deaths aren't engaging enough. I yeah. think we need to put the controller down for a little bit. <laughs> Maybe pick up a book. Hey, even Super Meat Boy had just bloods fly everywhere. It was meat! <laughs> it's juices. Throughout the forest, Mono comes up on a house that is surrounded by those boxy rabbit traps. And while the boxes are empty, they're clearly still getting some use somewhere else. Inside the house, Mono enters a kitchen that is swarming with flies. There's a big pot of something on the table seemingly just rotting away in this cabin. There's a lot of taxidermy on display and the paint is peeling itself off of the walls like skin falling off of itself. Ugh. This house is being used, but it's clearly not being taken care of. Mono goes down into the basement and finds himself an axe that is... A little, it's bigger than him, but he's able to maneuver with it. He drags the axe across the ground through the house and comes up on a door, which he breaks down shining style. Here's Mono. Yeah. <laughs> In fucking entirely. It's kind of funny watching him use these tools and stuff because they look so heavy. He's got to literally drag it behind him. Yeah. And when he swings, he's like whiffing it over his body, using more momentum than strength. So it's kind of cute. Yeah, but I still don't think he should have the strength to whip it up over his head either based on the fact he can barely drag it. <laughs> I 
okay, so physics aside. Yeah. <laughs> but it's pretty cute. It is. Behind the door he breaks down is another little one, kind of the same size as he is. The little one is sitting on the floor playing with a small music box. But as Mono breaks down the door, the little one is scared at the sight of Mono. Because, like, reasonably, you're locked behind a door, you're playing with your music box, and then some lunatic your size comes busting through the door with an axe. It looks like this little one has been captive for a while. There are tally marks scratched into the walls. The little one kind of hides around behind some furniture as Mono enters, but I think that's reasonable. I don't think they're being weird for that because yeah. Mono's coming in like a goddamn lunatic. Entirely. As Mono enters the room, he comes over and reaches his hand out towards the other little one. The shy one kind of shyly reaches out and then pushes past Mono and just runs off because fuck that. Well, if it's your first time ever seeing freedom, you are not going to let anything get in the way of that. Hell yeah. <laughs> Especially someone who you know is wielding an axe. You're like, oh, we'll take it another day. Yeah, I already know there's plenty of monsters. I don't need another one. Yeah. <laughs> Mono chases the little one back up the stairs and through the dining room where we see three rotting bodies, huge and fully sized. So adult sized to this furniture, miserably having dinner. There's a man with a white, droopy face, a boy with an eye falling out of his head, and a woman whose face is sewn up poorly. They're unmoving as both the little one and Mono run through the room, looking around for fucking any way to get out. One of the contrasts I love from the first game to this game is that the first game took place in like this very wealthy area of the mm. mall, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like a casino. It's kind of this wealthy spot where the rich go to eat children. Sorry. Again, we're going to spoil the fuck out of the first one if you haven't played it. But they eat children there, right? But this is now more a rural area that we're in. Yeah. And we're seeing what the regular people live like. And they don't get to eat children. They have to eat adults that have just kind of stumbled across their path at some point yeah almost like roadkill in a fucked up way yeah and i'm glad you mentioned that because upon closer inspection it's clear that these people are not alive anymore that they like the deer head in the hallway are just pieces of taxidermy on display in the house oh it's so fucked up <laughs> it's terrifying Mono catches up with the little one, and they're jumping to pull down an attic lever. The little one needs Mono's help to get the lever down, and with a boost, they're able to get the ladder and climb up into the attic. They start working together from here now to make it through the house, and they actually find a key suspended in the ceiling. Mono finds a lever that they can use to get this key down in the hands of what looks like a sleeping, unmoving girl. Mono pulls the lever from her grip, and her arm rips off along with the lever, showing that she, too, wasn't alive. She was just a stuffed human, just like the family downstairs. And it was about here that I started to realize this game's just going to be creepy for the sake of being creepy. <laughs> just, like, for the aesthetic? Yeah, and there were times in the first game where you're like, oh, at least this creepiness has, like, its metaphors and, like, the Holocaust vibes kind of shit. Yeah. Here, it's just, like, creepy doll arm fall off. <laughs> and you go, yeah, I've seen that. I'm it's in an attic. It's spooky. You know, there. It's some of this is really just standard spooky now, which felt a little bit of a cop-out. Yeah? I just thought so. It's, you know, this is just my opinion. I'm not, you know, we're not a review show, but because this game doesn't have a straightforward story, we have to interpret it. And, you know, part of that is just that this one's not quite as cerebral as the first, I would say. 
that's fair. You know, I do agree that there's a lot more metaphor and perhaps allegory within the first game of abuse and abuse of power and like sanctity of children versus sin and shit like that. And this one's like creepy dolls. They're people, but also creepy dolls. Yeah, I get you. And also creepy cabin in the woods. Classic. Entirely. And and like there's a reason it's a horror trope. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary as fuck. Yeah. And, and you know, horror games have evolved a lot in the last few years. When I say that this came out in that 2017 horror pop, it was you could have an aesthetic and kind of a pretty straightforward premise and leave some things loose. And there you could see the seams, you could see the stitching and it still works. But I think we're at a place where horror has evolved quite a bit more specifically in game storytelling where. You know, a lot of players like yourself who are seasoned players do require more to keep interest and appreciate. That's okay. We're still going to get through the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mono and the little one make it out of the house and they get through to a workshop just outside of the house. And here we actually see a living person. He's moving and everything. So I promise this is not a taxidermied creep. <laughs> We're in a hunter's shack and it's just outside the house, which makes sense because, you know, you don't want to bring the corpses in. I don't understand hunting culture. Never done it, but totally makes sense. You don't want the blood in the house. Right. From the ceiling, there are rabbit skins and other kind of various in-progress taxidermy projects. Right now, the hunter is actively skinning something he just caught when Mono and the little one run through to get by, and unfortunately, they do catch his attention. Yeah, and, like, he's not as skilled as Arthur Morgan at skinning an animal. <laughs> he can't just press the button and rip that shit out. No, I mean, he is violently, like, tearing at this fucking skin, though. It's pretty horrifying. Yeah, he's also not that great. Like I mentioned, the lady's face was all sewn up and fucked up, yeah. so he's got some work to do on his taxidermy skills. Also... In Red Dead Redemption, I fucking love when Arthur skins snakes because he just kind of holds her head and then rips the body out of the snake and then you have this beautiful sock of a snake skin. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why, but it makes me happy every time. Probably because I hate snakes. It just comes off nice and clean. Yeah, I don't even hate snakes in real life. I hate snakes in that game. Right. <laughs> like, because they always show up as a red dot because they are all enemies. There are no happy snakes. No, they're all bad guys. If I see a snake in real life, what's up, man? We had an apartment that had snakes in it once. They weren't pets. They were also enemies, so I get it. <laughs> Do you remember that apartment? It was horrible. I unfortunately remember that apartment. <laughs> Mono and the little one make it out of the outhouse, but the hunter is like, fuck that. I have a new project. He grabs his shotgun and is looking to add them to his collection. His face is covered by a potato sack that he wears. He also puts a hat on top of the potato sack, which is an interesting aesthetic choice. It's like Elmer Fudd wearing a potato sack. Yeah, and it's also nighttime, so what's the hat helping you with? <laughs> it really reminds me, actually, of one of the Friday the 13th movies. There was one mm. where Jason wore just a burlap sack for a mask. <gasps> oh, that's creepy. Instead of the traditional hockey mask, so it looked a lot like that, I thought. Oh, that's so creepy. Yeah, you know, there's something about the neutrality of just burlap to let you imagine what's behind there and how horrible it really is. And there's also a note that, to your point, we bring up the Maw, which is in the first game, and again, is that elaborate, wealthy group where people have masks on mm -hmm. and are able to cover their deformities. But here, we're in the fucking boonies. We're in the rural area. 
he doesn't have that luxury, so he's just wearing a potato sack to cover up whatever the fuck is under there. Which I imagine is something horrible. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's no way it's anything good. Despite looking at the world through a fucking potato sack, he is actually a very good shot with his shotgun. And he can come very close to Mono with a little one. And he is fucking chasing both of them, just shooting tirelessly at his tiny little prey. Mono and the little one have to squeak through bushes, hide behind boxes. They're getting under the roots of trees to hide from this crazy fucking hunter. And they actually at one point even have to fucking swim and get through a swamp to get away from this guy because he's like, oh, I haven't seen real life in a while. I'm going to get you. Oh, he would have totally gotten me because once you put me in a fucking swamp, I'm done. Yeah, you're like, I'm wet. I don't like this. I hate swamps. <laughs> and the swamp is disgusting. It's murky. It's thick. There's a thick layer of fog that is just as equal to the thick layer of flies right over it. It's fucking gross. Because you're in the swamp in the foreground, he's kind of in the background, but you're both moving in tandem away from the house to find your next step of escaping, and he's trying to beat you to it. It's really well-structured. It's like the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. <laughs> Got a mask. Gonna fuck some shit up. I'm here for it. The pair and the hunter, again, are moving in tandem through this forest until finally they come up on another hunting cabin. Mono and the little one are able to get in before the hunter, and as he follows them chasing, they get a shotgun down off the wall, manage to work together to aim it, and shoot him to put an end to the hunter, and to put an end to the hunt. It's pretty fucking great the way these two team up to get this shotgun into position and everything. I fucking loved this moment. Because <laughs> they really, they work together a little bit for some puzzles, but this is the first time they're like, we're fucking doing this. We are a team and we have to do this together, yeah. Yeah. They get one single shot off and it echoes through the audio and it's all okay. And when it's quiet and silent and you know the hunter is actually down, they both move on. So fucking good. Oh, yeah. No, this was a very satisfying moment for both of them. It is. After murdering the hunter, the pair find a loose door and, like in Titanic, they both get on and slowly start sliding out to sea. Now, see, they are very small, so that is not proof that two could fit on the door. Okay? Those two were 19. 19-year-olds <laughs> are little. They're not weighed down by sadness yet. Yes, but these are gnome creatures because I am just fully on the side that these are just like tiny little gnomes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, both fit on the door. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this whole float reminded me of in Disco Elysium mm. when he is on the front of the boat and Kim is driving the boat and he's just like kind of Captain Morganing at the front with music playing and stuff. It was very much that same vibe because this is a long ass boat ride. I love that shot, too, of Tequila Sunrise. I will never call him here. Yeah. <laughs> tequila Sunrise to me, just like, hell yeah, we out here. I'm going to find a crazy-ass praying mantis and shit. <laughs> Let's go. The little one is kind of bundled up. I think they're just really nervous after being held captive and killing their captor. That's a big day. Yeah. They're kind of bundled up, hugging their knees and monos, looking around like, all right, we're fucking getting out of the swamp. Let's Let's figure out the next step. We, I have a buddy now. Yeah, the next step is kind of like sit and wait because the current's just going to take you. Yeah. <laughs> so the forest dark green background makes way for a foggy deep blue as they sail away on their makeshift emergency raft. 
In the water, there are several old TV sets, the rabbit ears kind, like we saw scattered through the forest. Old CRT TVs. Yeah. The deeper into the water they sail, the deeper the audio tones become, until what sounds like an orchestral breathing begins. Orchestral breathing. Please describe that a little bit. I will not elaborate. (laughs) (laughs) There's a tone to it that makes this audio feel alive, and we're clearly leaving the rural area to come to an urban area and a city. And that energy is palpable as we get closer to shore. Society. (laughs) Everything comes. All roads lead back to Saint-Denis. Yeah. (laughs) All roads lead to Saint-Denis. That's great. Sailing forward, the two come up on what looks like a looming city wall far away from the forest now. The wall is tall, but it's also bending peeling forward like the whole city is rusting away. They land on a desolate corner, and together, they move forward into this city. Through a door, they walk in and see the suit of a man hanging from a TV. They walk through a deserted street and through deserted buildings. While there's no living creatures they've seen yet, there are full suits where living creatures clearly used to be. These broken old TV sets are everywhere, littering every single piece of scenery as they explore through. Yeah, like this game has a very television-focused motif in that they are fucking everywhere in the background constantly throughout this game. Yeah, and I want to be very clear how dense it is with the TVs because they are not being subtle at all. No, and the other thing that I really like of the visual element here is like you were saying, those suits... The visual cues that you're seeing are very reminiscent of the beginning of the first Little Nightmares. Yeah. Where you come across those dangling legs and like all these suits with their legs are always like dangling and they look exactly the same way. It's so creepy. No, the parallels they pulled are very well done and just they're subtle enough. It's one of those if you know, you know. Yeah, which is always so satisfying too as a player when you're like, I get the inside joke. I'm in on it. Mono and the little one work hard to stay together while they run through abandoned, rotting buildings, encountering more and more suits that are just empty of the people in them. In one room, a TV is actually on, which is the first we've seen so far. It glows white, and it starts to hypnotize and pull Mono. Mono comes to it like he's being called by it, and he walks up and puts his hand on the screen, before the little one is able to catch up to him in this room with a TV. Oh, this is like so reminiscent of Poltergeist. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of uh, creepy kids and TVs and media, and this is certainly uh, adding to the pile. This is definitely one of them. Yeah. <laughs> the screen glows and shows a hallway. And as his hand lays on the display, the TV flashes and takes him to the same hallway we as the player saw at the beginning of the game. Mono walks towards that same door that we saw, and then he snapped back to reality, and the TV shuts itself off. The little one is there next to him, and the little one and Mono are like, huh, that was weird. Okay. This might not have jumped out at you, but any Harry Potter fan definitely remembered the fifth book or movie where Harry kept going down the same kind of thing, where he was going down a hallway towards a door. It was all shrouded in blue and he kept getting sucked out of it just before getting to the door. Oh. Very same kind of fucking uh, thing going. I wouldn't have made that connection. Oh, that's all I was feeling whenever I saw him going down this hallway. You're a wizard, Mono. (laughs) 
The pair make it back to the streets and come up on this large three-story building that has the same eye we saw in the hallway door on the front of it. This is a school, as evidenced by a leaking teeter-totter in the front, a ball, a fucking tire swing, just kind of really shitty playground things. Again, it feels like in the first one where it's just we're not raising kids for entertainment value or anything. We just need to get them alive. Yeah, we just need their energy out so they'll shut the fuck up. Yeah. Hanging out of one of those high up windows is a rope made out of sheets, just like you see in kid detective shit. Once in the building, the pair see some clothes and books, but like the rest of the city feels abandoned right now. There's even some beds in the hall to block off parts of the hallways. In one of the dormitory rooms, we see four bunk beds stacked to the ceiling, which is like packing kids in like sardines if your bunk bed goes four high. Four high. When I saw the four high, I was like, God damn, I would not want to be the one on the third. Yeah, you get none of the fun stuff. No, that really sucks. You can still break your arm if you fall out. Like that's high (laughs) enough to break a bone if you roll. Right. I'm a rolly sleeper. I can never do that shit. (laughs) You've seen me. Crawling between the walls of the school, the pair make it into a locker room. And here we find out that they are not alone. There are footsteps of something else that is clearly alive, so they have to be a bit more cautious going forward. They actually see someone a bit bigger than them, but smaller than an adult, scamper by, so they go off to follow. Why? (laughs) Why not? What else are we doing? Exactly. The school is booby-trapped like the forest was, but in more of a kid way. Like, there's a bucket that stands on a door frame that falls when you open the door in the same way you prank kids when you're in, like, elementary school. Or Home Alone. Or Home Alone, exactly. He defeats the bad guys with these buckets. (laughs) One even has a full-sized locker that falls to catch whoever set the trap off. They're all just fucking kid things. But they're all snares, too, like that rural guy had. That's true. There's a there's a big book of snares that went around this community. And <laughs> everyone took a page out of it. A big book of snares. Did they buy it at one of those, like, book fairs that schools have? Because we were in the school now, so it was probably sold there, right? <laughs> the Scholastic Book Fair, like, official <laughs> yeah. book of snares. <laughs> yeah, there was an official book of snares in the school. <laughs> Next to the Guinness Book of World Records for that year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the hunter managed to get one. <laughs> it was clearly like the highlight of the year. No, he wrote it. He wrote it. That's how he got that cabin in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> He's a recluse writer. Oh, no. Real John Steinbeck. <laughs> Throughout this hall of lockers, Mono actually manages to get trapped by some of the larger children. And they're not just large children. These are the bullies. Is that their official title? Yes, that is their official title. They're called title. the bullies? They're okay. called the bullies. They are bigger than Mono and the little one, most definitely. Certainly. Uh, they remind me of like marionette puppets, like Pinocchio's running around. Yes, I'll talk. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but I'd say they're about hip height of the adults, so about half of the size of the hunter or so, give or take. Yeah, not something we've encountered at any point in a Little Nightmares game. That's true. These are kind of a new to this world sized creature. So this locker falls on Mono and traps him entirely. And as that happens, About half a dozen of the bullies crawl out of the fucking woodwork and descend on the little one. Like fucking zombies. Truly. Some of their heads are actually caved in, and we see that they're living dolls. 
yeah, like I said, kind of like Pinocchio or a marionette of some kind, really creepy, wooden looking. And this is one of those things where I'm like, am I supposed to interpret this? Is this a metaphor? Is this a metaphor or are they just actually living dolls? Right. And honestly, I, I don't think it matters. <laughs> <laughs> so have fun interpreting that. Yeah. At the end of the day, I don't think it really matters. Maybe there are kids that they are raising to be adults that they turn into food or maybe yeah. they're just fucking living puppets. It, this game, again, seems to be just creepy for the sake of being creepy. That's fair. They also are a little bit like the alien clones at the end of, oh, God, this is the end. Okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. Or end of the world. End of the world, the third in the Cornetto trilogy. Yes, exactly. Where I think The world's end. The world's end, thank you. Or there's the one that has the soccer ball for the head at the very end. He's showing houses and shit. Yeah. But they can kind of move around even if their head's kind of bashed in. Entirely. They capture the little one and they run off before Mono can get free of the locker. After this attack, Mono is able to get a hammer and bludgeons one of the bullies, breaking his head into a million little pieces. So now we know Mono can fuck some shit up and he's got to go get his friend. Damn right. Now completely alone, once again, unfortunately, Mono continues through the school until he comes on the first adult that we see in the city. Now it's the first adult we've seen since the hunter and approximately the same height as the hunter so we're getting a sense of how big adults are this is a large woman in a classroom furiously writing on a chalkboard there are some of these doll children bullies in desks heads down heeding whatever lesson she's fucking giving them as she sharply punctuates her writing she sometimes turns around and we see that she's older there are some deep creases across her face this is the teacher this teacher is just the quintessential teacher, too. <laughs> just fucking big curls, horribly dressed, angry, and looks like she likes screaming at children. And she's been a teacher for like 40 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's tenured, baby. So there is no getting anything by her. She has eyes on the back of her head. <laughs> and not literally in this game, unfortunately. She is much creepier. Yeah. <laughs> it gets worse. After knocking over a block case to obtain a key, the teacher follows Mono into a small closet. As she peers into the doorway, she cranes her neck into the room, and as she does, it lengthens, weaving around like a snake throughout the entire closet. Her neck is long, thick, pink, and veiny for some goddamn oh, dick-ridden reason. She is dick neck entirely, like just the veiniest dick neck you've ever seen. <laughs> I hate it. No, she is like an awful version of Elastigirl from The Incredibles. It's so upsetting. If Elastigirl got old, wrinkly, and retired as a teacher, and she hated everyone. <laughs> oh, I hate it so much. Re-entering the classroom to maneuver through, we see her going desk to desk with a ruler, inspecting the work of her bully children. She occasionally slaps her ruler down on their desk and they quietly continue to work. Once Mono has the key he was looking for, he's able to access the elevator and goes to continue looking for the little one on the next highest floor. He does come across one of the bullies furiously drawing eyes on the walls and floors with chalk. This little bully has a dunce cap on and is on a leash because clearly this one's just a little feral. <laughs> 
Mono now balances between the rafters right above the teacher's classroom. And as you make noise, her long neck will stretch up from the ground floor to meet you face to face from down below. It's pure horror. And again, it's kind of representing that teacher that you can't get away with shit with. Yeah. (laughs) The tenure is so strong with this monster. Yeah. Evading her, Mono continues through the bowels of the school. He has to save little one and he has to get them both the fuck out of here. <laughs> Mono makes it to the library, which is a dusty brown area full of crusty yellowed books. The teacher, however, is goddamn everywhere and any noise made in the library calls to her. And her long, horrible neck snakes around the books and the aisles and will come to find Mono. Her head will loom around and snake through stacks of books just looking for you after making the tiniest bit of noise. Yeah, her first job was as a librarian, actually. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) She has that energy. Right. You see her neck lengthen to peer around corners as you go through stacks and shelves of books. She walks through the library to the next room, and unfortunately you also have to continue in tandem with her, because goddammit. (laughs) In a more isolated room of the school, we see an empty chess kit in what would be basically life-sized for Mono. The puzzle here is to place the chess pieces in the correct order to gain access to a secret room hidden behind some bookshelves. This room holds a key, as, you know, most secret rooms do, to a heavily secured room of the school. Sorry, you just described an entire scene from Harry Potter again without even realizing it. Oh, shit. I'm not a Potterhead. (laughs) That's right out of the first book. Like, they go from playing chess into a room full of keys, and then you gotta go (laughs) through a door, like, the whole thing. (laughs) Because, of course, after you play chess, you unlock rooms full of keys. Right. (laughs) I thought that was a joke. I didn't realize that was a reference. (laughs) Fuck. This room leads downward, and Mono gets into the kitchen of the school. We see trays and plates and tile floors that are just dirty from years of use and zero years of cleaning, as most schools are. In the kitchen, a few of the bullies attack you, and you can kill them with a ladle, which I think is whimsical. I love all the different ways you kill these kids, to be real, which is a great sentence to say. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Mono cleverly puts one of the unsmashed heads from the bullies over his own head to blend in so the other bullies kind of see him as one of their own. Actually, now having said that sentence, <laughs> I realize why they're puppets. You can't have them actually killing kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's too dark. Yeah, I get it now. All right. <laughs> you know, there is um, there is some allusions to a child eating another child in the first game, and maybe they got some backlash. Right. <laughs> so they're like, there's no blood. It's fine, guys. <laughs> they're puppets. It's a puppet. It's fine. In the cafeteria, the bullies are shaking and screaming. They are, it looks like a scene of just monkeys at the zoo. They are jumping and throwing food at each other, and Mono is like, what the fuck? Fuck! Yeah, somebody yelled food fight and the whole thing just erupted. Yeah, like a 90s movie. It's goddamn, <laughs> what's the fat camp movie? Like, it's fucking all that Heavyweights? Shit. It's heavyweights. They're fucking feral. Mono with his doll head sneaks around unnoticed because the bullies are so wrapped up in their own bullshit. He gets through with his disguise and it does break when he has to squeeze into another room. So he's like, oh, what the fuck? Puts the bag back over his head and is like, I am not into this. Right. Mono now sneaks into the science lab, and 
Unfortunately, here, long neck ass teacher is doing some prep for her next lesson. She is poking at guts and putting them in an anatomy bust of organs and prepping some frogs to be dissected while Mono hides behind jars of mushy insides and shit to make it past. And I think that's so gross. I never did the frog anatomy thing in school. Dissecting a frog? Yeah, I never did it. I I smelled it and said, I'm absolutely not doing this. And it's not a vegan thing. It's not fucking animal rights. I was just like, this smells disgusting. And I got to do it on a computer. I dissected so many things in high school. Really? Yeah, we dissected all sorts of shit. What the fuck? That's gross. Yeah. Yeah, they let, if anyone didn't want to do it, they had a computer program where you could like click through, like a click through operation version. Really? Yeah, so me and I think there was another girl whose family is Buddhist and they were like, we don't think this is appropriate. So they were like religious reasons. They were just gross out reasons, you know. So we got to sit in the library and do it, which was kind of cool because it's also like everything was labeled. So they'd be like, pull out the lungs. We'd be like, that's, that one says lungs. I got this shit. Yeah, going to Catholic school, we didn't have the Buddhist kid that didn't want to do it. So you didn't have. Oh, <laughs> I heard it. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, public school. They were just like, if you don't want to do this, go downstairs. I guess it's fine. But yeah, apparently kids would like take the lungs out and like blow them up and shit and do really weird stuff to it. Because again, public school. But right. <laughs> they're a little more feral, but also fair. They put the fair and feral in public schools. I saw a kid eat one of the things that we were dissecting <gasps> once. No! Yep. Wait, that's way worse. Yep. Well, in Catholic school, you have to eat the body of Christ every morning, so I think Every that... morning. <laughs> it's not quite that often, but it's hilarious. Isn't it like t- putting the flag up? <laughs> <laughs> we're from different places. Mono encounters a couple packs of feral bullies again who lunge and scream at him before attacking, but now he has a hammer to smash them up with. He leaves a wake of ceramic corpses destroyed behind him, and he actually finally catches up with the little one. The little one is tied upside down from their ankles, being tortured and laughed at by bullies when Mono finds them. They're dazed and scared, but they are pleased to see Mono, so there's that. I mean, was the little one being a fucking nerd? I mean, no. Oh, okay. So the bullies didn't have a right to do this? They're called bullies. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, eat the weird frog. (laughs) The little one's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, wait, I gotta ask, what did they eat? Like, did they just eat some, like, a piece of anatomy that... Oh, it was a goldfish. They ate a goldfish? What, like, jackass? That's a yeah. steve thing. Oh, it was long before steve ever did it. Oh, my God! That's not a thing you want to trailblaze for. No, not at all. <laughs> Wait, you were doing anatomy shit with goldfish? Yeah, they made us dissect a goldfish in the eighth grade. Anyway, the pair are finally reunited, and they're like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. And I truly think that the core value in this story is that school is torture. (laughs) Together, they prop open a window and leave using a plank, which is very last of us, to move into the next part of the school, which is the art department. They come into a room that has a piano in it, and the piano is suspended by rope. You mean to tell me that this school funded art? Not well, because this room is rotting from the inside out. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, they did have an art department. (laughs) Good for them. Mono and the little one jump on the piano, and their weight and pressure actually pushes the piano to crash through the lower floor, and it makes this like beautiful crash sound as it goes down because it's a piano. Right. 
31% of all players actually jump around on the piano keys and play the piano a bit before they actually jump on the piano itself to make it crash. Why wouldn't you, though? I mean, it's like getting to live out that Tom Hanks moment in Big. Right? It's very big. <laughs> but super fucking sad. More billies are around, but it does feel a lot more sparse in this building. Because who gives a shit about the arts? Right. This may be the school's music department as well, as there's a faint piano tune echoing through these halls. Here we see that the teacher is in here, this bitch is everywhere, playing piano, occasionally stopping to check her sheet music. Her piano is in an isolated room, and as her playing swells, Mono inches closer and closer to her. When she stops, the room is so quiet, Mono's heartbeat is the only thing going, and it's completely out of tune with her song, so it's very clear when we're nervous. <laughs> I love that aspect of this game, when things get so quiet, you can hear the heartbeat going. The anxiety track of yeah. uh, the audio. Like, if you've ever been in that level of silence where the only thing you can hear is your heartbeat, you know exactly what that sounds like. It's Ugh. fucking wild. Makes me uncomfortable just thinking about it. Yeah. Mono and the little one sneak around Mommy Longneck using her playing as a cover for their little creaks and movement throughout. She does manage to hear them sneaking into an air vent, and the piano playing stops and the keys clash together. The pair move through thinning air vents, being chased by the teacher, using her long neck to snake into the vent, following them. Oh, it's so creepy. It, you know what it actually reminded me of was Beetlejuice, when <gasps> Beetlejuice's neck goes really long, and it also does kind of like the same kind of <sighs> shit. Oh, it's so creepy. I loved it. It's terrifying. And she's gnashing her teeth right on Mono's heels. Like, you could not be more stressed out in this moment. No, and if she catches you, she just eats you whole. Yeah, it's bad. The pair make it out, and they hide in a dumpster, waiting for her to leave. And once she finally gives up, they descend further into the city. Ugh, fuck school, man. Entirely. I hated school. <laughs> I, I didn't hate it, but... This school sucks. That's why I do a video game podcast. <laughs> because you hate school? Yeah. That'll show them. <laughs> no, I always did those fucking, like, what's your career going to be when you grow up kind of shit. 100% of them said that I would be a radio host. Really? Every single one of them. I never got that. Yeah. I never got the test. So I guess I'm just fulfilling my destiny. I guess in public schools, they don't really give a shit. <laughs> they're like, you figure it out. I'm not going to tell you. And with your school, they're like, how can we put you into a bucket where we get you on a list? <laughs> but it was really funny to see like teachers and advisors try to decipher what the fuck I'm supposed to do with that information. Do you think those include like astrology and shit now for Gen Z? Probably, yeah. Or like millennials have taken it over. They're like, well, if you're an Aries, then you have to be a personality. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. dumb shit like that. Totally. It's nighttime in the city, and it's raining, covering the entire place in even more deep gray-blue tones. With the school finally behind them, the pair go deeper into some buildings and streets, and they come up on an abandoned, rotting house. Mono has his bag over his head to protect him from the rain, but the little one is barely dressed. But they come up on a small piece of clothing in this house to keep them warm. A yellow raincoat. Oh, yellow raincoat. That looks familiar. Here, we see that the little one that Mono rescued from the hunting lodge and is now traveling with is six. 
the protagonist from the first game. All right, so we got to take a beat. Who is Six? Yeah, so Six is, like I just said, the protagonist from the first game, went through the whole ordeal from the very first game, you know, has escaped from the Maw, has defeated the Geisha, had the whole ordeal with the runaway kid, you know. Six is vicious. I, you know, in our first episode, I was always under the impression that Six was always pushed into having to do horrific things. And Andrea was always like, nah, she's a badass. She just fucking like, (laughs) she's ruthless. She's a bad bitch. And this game, I would say I am leaning more towards, yeah, she's just ruthless. And as we know, in all of Little Nightmares 1, Six has her iconic yellow raincoat. Right. So as we see her put it on for the first time, it is confirmed that this is a prequel. Eh, I've got my own theories. I don't know if it is. You're allowed to have theories. Yeah. It's an open-ended game. There's no dialogue. We do not get anything set in stone. Let's talk uh, timelines at the end of the episode, because I don't know if it's necessarily a prequel. Okay, that's fine. Either way, this bitch is six. This is definitely six. Mono and Six move forward through the rainy city, diving between dumpsters and buildings and making it into different structured with bare rooms and cots suspended from the ceiling. It's so strange because what we're really getting to see is that this is some weird dystopian future kind of world. Yeah, that's also very timeless and old. Yeah, where something horrific has happened and a lot of society is gone. Yes. Now, just like the school, this building that they managed to get into has drawings of the eyeball on the walls all around these cots and rolling beds that we see. And we're like, that's creepy. Anyway, (laughs) the power is out here. But as we kind of start to look around, we realize this is a hospital. The hospital, of course, feels abandoned and desolate because that's what you do when you're a hospital in a horror game. Right. There is no sign of people again until we get to a waiting room area. People still waiting. (laughs) Because that's what you do in hospitals, bitch. (laughs) Can we talk about, you mentioned this earlier today, just off mic, but one time I went to the ER and they didn't have a room for me and I got a cot in a hallway. I mean, this was during COVID times and you weren't there for COVID. Yeah, but I was still like, what the fuck? Yeah, that was pretty bad. Like, and it was just like a a piece of paper taped to the wall being like, this is bed 19 now. And I was like, please don't make me go in the gown. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to have my b-hole showing in the hallway while people are just trying to like go to the vending machine. This is mortifying. Not tonight. Yeah. (laughs) Get me a drink first. (laughs) Let's fill this IV bag up with something fun. And maybe like you got a morphine drip. I'm down. (laughs) One Valium. I'm out. But like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Hospitals are rough. That is truly like schools might be the horror point for you. Hospitals are the horror point for me. Entirely. I know why. There are some figures in the waiting room watching TV. And once again, this TV is glowing white and Mono just feels called to it. He walks up, puts his hand on the monitor and sees the hallway pulse at him once again through that screen. Again, he is pulled through He's in the hallway with the door at the end of it and the eyeball carved into the door. He gets closer than he did last time and then he shot back into reality and Six is at his side. Dazed, Mono gets up and he looks around and the figures watching TV aren't people and they're not taxidermy, but they are headless mannequins, missing limbs, slumped over in chairs and wheelchairs. 
You see, it's a metaphor for society and its reliance on entertainment and electronics and blah, 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 blah. Great stance to take in a video game. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) These figures are the first patients we meet. This hospital has served the Pale City as a place for its residents to get augmentations. These patients cannot live with themselves. They've been pushed into massive depression. And they looked in the mirror and they hate what stares back. So they go to this hospital. They beg the doctor here to fix them and make them whole again. They're Ripper Docs and this is cyberpunk. (laughs) This is official lore, by the way. (laughs) My part, not yours. These are not Ripper Docs. (laughs) Mono and Six go into a pediatric room with stuffed animals and drawings on the wall, including that eyeball we've been seeing and some drawings of men in suits and hats. Hidden in one of the stuffed animals is a key. And because we're in a hospital, there's actually a really fun component where you find out which stuffed animal has the key with the use of an x-ray machine, which I thought was so fucking clever. Yeah, they have some really clever puzzles in this one. In this hospital, there is a room full of loose-leaf prosthetics hanging in the same way we saw carcasses hanging in the hunter's outhouse. They dangle from the ceiling like meat and then are shoved just kind of carelessly into boxes into storage rooms. Yeah, it really is like meat hooks, and it makes me wonder if there was an original version where these were just body parts, and then they got notes back being like, it's too gory. Like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) That's going too far. Just make them prosthetics. Yeah, this is creepy. And, you know, I say just rooms and rooms full of these because there appears to be just kind of a whole floor of prosthetics throughout the entire area, and if we're being 100, they're not so purely prosthetic right (laughs) in one hospital table there's kind of like an or situation there's a torso of a man and as mono scampers through the room a hand from the torso which is detached at the wrist leaves the hand and chases mono just like thing in wednesday or the adams family yeah, entirely. Just like, but like, instead, where, you know, the thing is always like the wrist is upwards. This one, like, the wrist is just dragging behind oh, it. It's so fucking like floppy and gross. It is floppy and gross. Ugh. It's so much more spider like or like tarantula like than even thing. Yeah, it's giving Scamper really hard. And it's clearly looking for mono as it hears something else living on this floor. And, you know, living and looking around you know he's a hand he can only do so much yeah or even like the head crabs from half-life <gasps> oh, what's the one that Mama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you we won't see him for weeks the hand is able to jump and lunge at mono and attack him and again very spider-like i think that's a perfect way of describing it using a hammer mono is able to crack some knuckles <laughs> and beat this reanimated hand down to submission 57% of players hit the hand more than twice after killing it to make sure that motherfucker stays down. <laughs> That's really good. I appreciate that it's more than half. Like right. Most people are like, fuck that shit. <laughs> I'm going to keep killing it. Just to make sure it's dead. <laughs> Mono has to get some batteries through this hospital because, again, it's pretty out of power. And a lot of the doorways are powered in a hospital. So a lot of battery chasing here. At least it's not a generator. It's basically a generator, though. <laughs> it's a, a battery's a tiny generator. Yeah. <laughs> In another area of the hospital, a headless prosthetic patient wearing a hospital gown chases Mono. When Mono puts light on him, he stops, 
But in darkness, the prosthetic headless corpse crackles towards Motto. Oh, entirely like super hot. Where movement, or they're actually more like the booze in Mario, where if you have your back to them, they're going to come chasing after you, but if you're facing them, they don't. Same with the flashlight, you have to be pointing it at them, but they surround you. Mm -hmm. It's fucked up, and you got to basically be spinning around like a fucking Tasmanian devil doing a tornado just to keep them off of you. Yeah, Mono's not fast. No. He's little, he's a little clunky to be real because he's a gnome. He's not savvy with this shit like bless his fucking heart he's doing his goddamn best but he's not a great character for this kind of movement which makes it so much scarier he's a puzzle solver not an action hero damn it (laughs) so yeah you're playing fucking light tag with the patience here (laughs) and somehow mono keeps moving without bursting into tears every five minutes which is what i would do and gets into some rooms that are completely dark full of patience that are just purely prosthetic, mostly headless, and equally as mobile. It's like they took every one of the prosthetic limbs and stuff that they have and tried to create a person out of those. Yeah, but they are just patients who came in miserable, had so many things taken off and augmented that the only thing inside of them is their hatred and anger. It's a Theseus person. It's horrible. Also, some of these patients have hooks for hands because fuck you. Of course they do. Now, the light tag game works, and they're at least stopped by some environmental objects like beds and walls, even though there are some that will reach through windows at Mono, which is fucking horrifying. Seemingly out of the woods, Mono goes through a hallway that shows this hospital may also have been maybe an asylum, maybe a prison of some sort, because steel doors burst open just through those small slivers where you could slide in a food tray. And prosthetic arms reach out one by one at Mono. Oh, it's so creepy. And then two by two at Mono. And then dozens by dozens of prosthetics from these patients are reaching out, grasping at little ass no Mono while he scampers out to find one fucking room in this hospital not overrun by patients. It was so similar to that scene in The Last of Us 2, the first time you play as Abby Mm -hmm. and you're running through and you have to like get through that little fence area and all the zombies are reaching through the fence at Mm. you just before you meet Joel and Tommy, you remember? Yeah, the fence is starting to collapse under the weight of the group of people. And then I think at one point she has to crawl and she loses her shit and is like, what the fuck? Yeah, very similar. Oh, it's super creepy. This was really well done. There's something about just like fingers acting like spiders that's just so fucking unnerving. Yeah. There are no other beings with blood here besides Mono and Six for what it's worth, but they're obviously not alone. Anxiety-inducing rooms full of still patients that come alive when Mono walks past just stack on top of each other and on top of each other as... You know, Mono and Six are probably the first living, breathing beings they've seen in Lord knows how long. Oof. Now, Mono's by himself. Six is kind of holding down the forks. She's still a little traumatized from her life. Don't blame her. Yeah. Now, Mono's able to get a battery from this horrifying mission, thank God, just to make it worth it. And he and Six use it to power an elevator down into the depths of the hospital. It's pitch dark in the basement, but... We can still see prosthetics hanging from the ceiling and bursting from seams of boxes. And now, I say basement, but in the bottom of most hospitals is one pretty distinct feature. Yeah, you usually associate the basement with this one feature. This is the morgue. Uh, no thank you. 
Making it through the morgue, a couple more hands appear for Mono to fight. They scamper and they crawl and they hide between boxes and between prosthetics that are just piled up. Ugh. While this is happening, Six is desperately prying boards off of a hole in a door to escape because she's like, I'm not going to fight these motherfuckers. You got the <laughs> hammer, but I'm going to figure out our escape route, buddy. I yeah. got this. Mono cracks some more knuckles and beats the hands down just in time to help Six pry the last board off of a door. Now, would you compare Six to Ellie in The Last of Us or as Elizabeth in Bioshock Infinite? Fully Elizabeth in Bioshock Infinite. Okay, much more like that. I see her as breaking, well, in this instance, literally breaking down through a door. So kind of in the sense of unlocking puzzles. What is she doing? She's um, lock busting. Lock picking. Lock picking. Yeah. yeah. Where Ellie didn't provide as much of that. Um, she'd occasionally just hold some things down. But Ellie was almost, in Last of Us 1, more of a resource management moment. You know, you'd have to do some crowd control with infected, and Ellie occasionally would get attacked. You'd have to run over and be like, oh, I got you. Another thing I appreciate this, too, is that you really only have to keep mono hidden. Yeah, you don't have to worry about Six to that exact same point, where you don't have to worry about Six's health. Six is on her own track. Mono is the only one you have to deal with. Where in Last of Us 1, you do have to worry about Ellie and, like, is is there anyone swarming or running at her? Right. Because, yeah, like, for example, there's ones where you're trying to, like, hide from something. Yeah. Six can be fully seen and they will not notice her. <laughs> in that yellow raincoat. Yeah. They're like, the flashlight will be right on her and they're just like, oh, there's nothing here. That's and not Mono. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> I want the little boy with the bag on his head. Right. Which also is really great. There's one moment where we got, like, this. Again, it's it's very visual in terms that he gets closer and further away from you. And mm -hmm. one time when he's really close and the light was hitting right, you're like, wait, is this six or is this bag boy? And it's just that the way the silhouette was done, mm. the bag looks exactly the same as the raincoat from a side angle. Oh, beautiful. And the design of the two characters is so similar, even though they are dressed drastically differently. Yeah. And their demeanor is very different as well, but still having those... Visual parallels to keep them tied together is really beautiful. Well, it kind of goes back to that old animation rule of it has to have a silhouette that you can recognize immediately. Yeah. And the way that they have made these two characters who are the main character of different games look almost the same from the perspective of a silhouette. Mm -hmm. However, once you put color and stuff to them, they look completely different. Yeah. I love that. No, that's that's a great point. Now, down through the morgue, we hear movement from some kind of being. This guy is not a patient. This is a large worm man, fat, with deep rolls crawling around the ceiling of the morgue. He appears to be hanging down from the ceiling and is putting together some more prosthetics. And this is the doctor. That's the guy crawling around the ceiling? Yeah. Oh, I hate this guy. He's so gross oh. and creepy. There were times where I wasn't sure if he is shirtless or if that is just the flesh-toned shirt that he's wearing. He is so gross. He's terrifying. The doctor is balding, he's pale, and he groans as he hears the sounds of Six and Mono in his hospital. And when I say groans, he's groaning like he is gasping for air anytime he moves. Oh, yeah. Like, he is just... <laughs> he is winded as fuck. Well, he's a big worm man. Like, yeah. he's like a Caucasian Jabba the Hutt. I was going to say, if Jabba the Hutt was GLaDOS. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, it's just suspended from the ceiling. Yeah. 
Ugh, that's not a good visual for anyone. No. He's larger than an adult, it seems, and much larger than the patient, certainly. And it's unclear how large he really is. And it's also unclear how he's hanging from the ceiling. Right. Because he appears to just be crawling on his hands and knees throughout the level. But again, up on the ceiling for some reason. And again, you're trying to find a metaphor. I don't think there is one here. No, it's just <laughs> room full of nightmares. Yeah. The ceiling shakes and dust falls as he moves from area to area, just showing how massive and all-encompassing this motherfucker is. I hate him. This is... I, I hate him so much more than the teacher. This is my least favorite character in this game and this franchise, straight up. I think he is probably the scariest in terms of just, like, creepiness level. He scares the shit out of me. Six and Mono silently sneak out through an air vent and feel the tiles below their feet pause as the large man crawls just right underneath them. The air vents lead the pair through more of the morgue where the big man is pulling corpses out and inspecting other, you know, just dead people shit in the morgue. <laughs> Mis miscellaneous dead people shit. Body parts and shit. Yeah. Mono actually comes up on one room with a body that seems to be hooked up to a heart monitor and a patient that could actually be alive and living and not be, you know, a prosthetic patient ghost situation. Mono takes this opportunity to pull the plug on this patient who begins to convulse and go into some sort of cardiac arrest and shake. The doctor slugs his way in to investigate, and while he does this, Six and Mono steal another fucking battery. Just for another battery. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've already killed, so. Yeah, they've got their bloodlust now. Let's yeah. go. Blood has been spilled, bitch. This is about survival at this point. In for a penny. It sounds like the doctor is doing CPR or some sort of saving techniques on the one patient for a while, but then he hears Mono and Six, and he chases after them, because, like, fuck that guy. Right. He is going through knocking down shelves and other fixtures as he follows through the ceilings after Six and Mono. Six is ahead of you, tearing ass down this hospital, and Mono is right on Six's heels, sliding under tables and hiding as the doctor's like speed crawling all over the hospital ceilings after them. It's every gnome for themselves. Every gnome for themselves. Six and Mono managed to run all the way through the morgue to the back of the morgue where the crematory furnace is. And they lead the doctor into the furnace, chasing right after them. Oh, I got through this moment and I was just like, oh, I know exactly what's about to happen. <laughs> oh, God, this is so cool. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes, please. Please tell me that Six is on the other side of this fucking door waiting to shut it and so we can just burn this motherfucker alive. And to your fucking point, Mono runs through, crawls out, and Six slams the fucking door shut to the furnace. And burns that motherfucker alive. Now, you can walk away. Really? But why would you? Why the fuck would you? That is the scariest man ever. You can, of course, leave, you can leave him trapped, you can walk away, but like, fuck that, we are petty on this show. The other castle takes the official stance of burning a motherfucker. Especially if it makes me a petty bitch. Yeah, <laughs> if it feeds to my pettiness, I'm fully invested. <laughs> so you pull the lever, and as the flames go up, you can hear him like muffled screaming and all this shit, let me out kind of thing. It's not, you can't hear a direct voice line, but it's clear, like, banging in, like, what are you doing? 
Six's ass sits down by the fire and starts warming her motherfucking hands like the bad bitch she is. Oh, like she is just in front of the campfire or the fireplace at home listening to grandpa tell a fucking story. Instead of listening to the doctor burn. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, the sounds of his screams is comforting to her. (laughs) Six is a fucked up kid. Smoke from the corpse of the doctor billows out of the furnace as the pair eventually leave and get into the elevator alone and ride back up to street level. Back through a quieter wing of the hospital, Mono and Six find a window that leads back out into the pale city and they head off. Cause like, fuck this shit. (laughs) The night is pouring rain harder than ever and they come across another building Again, seemingly abandoned, but you know how well that's fucking served us so far. This looks like an apartment. It's a kind of a big residential building. And as they climb the levels, they come across a man who falls through all the floors and then just runs off. <laughs> that's not okay, but sure. They kind of follow his pacing and they find him unmoving with his head inside of a TV. Mono and Six think nothing of it and move on toward the next building. We live in a land of horrors. This is just another one of them. At least he's leaving us alone. It's another apartment building, and they see a woman staring straight at a TV, unable to notice them. She is in a trance watching the screen, and she is one of the viewers of the Pale City. Now, I've alluded to this before. The city is called the Pale City canonically, and these people that are obsessed with TV are called the viewers. And again, it's just... A very blatant and heavy-handed just society is stuck watching TV. Then why'd you make a video game? I know. It's so <laughs> dumb. And it's, it's also like so like 1970s style too because it's like the old rabbit ears TV and they literally make these humans without faces. Yes. They are kind of mush-faced and they are fully... I keep saying trance. That's like the best way I can get out of it. Do you think it gives... A little bit of Twilight Zone in that sense as well when you talk about that old school way of like rabbit ears and, you know, being entranced by something creepy kind of shit. Totally. I think that's exactly what it's going for. And it's because it's only like static they're watching. They're not even watching television. That's right. There's nothing really happening on the TV. (laughs) No, the idea is just that the TV's on, so they are completely glued to it. Are there any shows that make you, like, a full viewer? Like, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, South Park, The Office, that kind of thing? Wait, this would be so much fucking funnier if they had just had clips of Always Sunny playing on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to be, like, Breaking Bad. Like, I can't peel my eyes away from it. Or, you know, like, The Boys last season was fucking crazy. (laughs) Like, shit like that. But you're like, yeah, Always Sunny, fucking Green Man comes on. It gets me every time. Fucks my shit up. Yeah. I want that edit so bad of them just watching The Office over and over again. They're like, millennials, it's a commentary. Right. (laughs) Oh, it'd be like that. Anyway, Mono and Six, they're going through this apartment building, going into more and more viewers. Now, obviously, we're deeper into the city. We didn't see a lot of people on the outskirts. We did see a lot of broken TVs on the outskirts. So perhaps it's just coming in towards the center of the city is where the action is, where these people are more compelled to be. They also see someone that is in the bathtub with a TV, which, you know, be careful if you have electronics near water in general. So good luck. Hey, I am not a man that's afraid to say I love taking a really good bath. Hell yeah. You don't need 
don't bring masculinity into this. And I really enjoy bringing like my laptop to watch like YouTube or a Hulu show or something like that. But you know, you got to play it safe. You got to have like, like you said, maybe like a TV table off the side of the bathtub that you have it up on. So that way it's not, you know, dangling over water and threatening your life. Oh yeah. The toilet's pretty close to our tub. So I'll put a towel on over the toilet when it's closed put my iPad there and watch things. And I also have the towel so I can like wipe my finger down to be dry to touch my shit. So I'm like not wetting my electronics. Entirely. But this guy is like genuinely like with his little portable television just <laughs> in the bathroom with him like it's a radio or a toaster about to drop in. No, no. Have you seen that bath bomb that's called the last bath bomb and it's shaped like a toaster? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think that's funny. That's so dark. It's so dark. So is this game. Yeah, this is clearly along my interests. Once on the roof of this building, a tall tower shines over, and we know this as the signal tower. The signal tower looms overhead, and a white beacon is blasting from its antenna. The signal tower shines this eerie white beam that touches through the city, kind of making this radius of signal throughout it and you know probably not foreshadowing yeah it's like the marvel light beam that goes into the sky <laughs> the next apartment building has holes in the roof and is completely rain soaked at this point because this is we're in fucking seattle or some shit <laughs> the beams start to shift under the weight of the rot and rain and it begins to collapse as mono and six race through to the other side they're unable to make it out and six gets crushed under some rubble Mono frees her, but she is shaken and scared here and is like, what the fuck? My life is torture. I know. Poor Six just got freed, but is still really not freed. Yeah, she, we saved her from being kidnapped in the first part of the game, and then she got kidnapped in the middle of the teacher section in school. Like, this bitch keeps getting kidnapped. This poor little gnome. She's like Paula and Earthbound. Yeah, just always getting kidnapped. Just stay getting kidnapped. <laughs> Mono holds her hand and pulls her out and is very comforting in this area, which is really sweet. And you see Mono be more protective of her. You know, he's been protective of her from the beginning of like, I want to help you. I'm here. And now he's like, I am here. I want to keep you safe. Like, I am so sorry for the horrors. And I know you're scared, but I'm here. And you're. I'm getting this with no words. This is all me extrapolating based on his body language but still there's something that feels deeper about their friendship from this point going forward where he's like i am here i'm gonna hold your hand physically to be there for you yeah i think it's a situation where they're both starting to realize they're only here because of the other at this point true like without each other they'd be long gone right in an empty apartment living room mono encounters another tv this one's again beaming white and showing that hallway once more when he touches the screen with his hands Mono focuses and is in the hallway again. In this hazy, echoey state, Mono runs to the door in the hallway, and and this time, he actually makes it to the handle. He jumps to push the door open, and is met with the first hint of warm color we have seen in this entire game. A magenta aura flows through this doorway, and around the silhouette of a tall, thin man in a full suit and hat. The TV pushes Mono out of it, and he and Six sit on the floor in shock. Instead of the TV going black like it has every other time he's gotten kicked out of his TV trance, the screen is still glowing white, and then two black handprints on the screen appear from inside the TV. Again, full-blown poltergeist. Oh, fully. <laughs> We're just missing the, the small lady with the weird voice. Right. As Six and Mono look on, 
the hands push through the screen and come out as the thin man crawls through the TV. Oh, I was going to say that or the ring, We're which fully is like, in the ring yeah, <laughs> both of them, just anything where a creepy thing comes out of the screen or the TV or whatever. <laughs> There's some shit there. Yeah. <laughs> Six and Mono walk away as the thin man slowly follows them through this empty apartment. He's too tall for all the walls and has to duck through doorways. His silhouette matches the drawings we've seen before of the man with the hat. He comes up on six and, without touching her, pulls her up towards him. We hear a scream as the girl in the yellow coat is shot up into his hand and disappears. Mono comes out of hiding and runs for her, going back to the TV to find her, and flows through a world of magenta before being dumped back on a mattress on the floor. He's alone again and climbs up through this rotting apartment building, to find another TV glowing with white to try and find his friend. Putting his hands on this new TV that he sees that's glowing, he's actually transported to another TV hanging outside on a clothesline. This game just became Portal. <laughs> it's fully fucking Portal now! <laughs> now he has the ability to just move between active TV sets when they're glowing white, which is an incredible mechanic to introduce this far into the game. It really is. No, it's really cool that... A lot like Stray, actually, we keep getting introduced to new mechanics as you continue through the game that are only really relevant to that section. Yeah, you know, he's alone, so we don't have to worry about bringing Six with us. And we know he's had something interesting with his interactions with the TV from him inching towards this hallway. And now that we've opened the door, what does that mean now? That means he can use the TVs as his own hallway to other TVs. Right. It's weird. Like, there's not a lot of allusions to superpowers often in the Little Nightmares universe, mm -hmm. but they're very specific to people and just one aspect of them. Yeah, it's fascinating. Kind of like a mutant. <laughs> Again, he's just alone. He's jumping through the outside of buildings. And actually, to your point, like Stray, he's climbing through pipes and planks and shit on the outside of buildings. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. TVs are located everywhere in this city as we're getting closer to the signal tower and there's more viewers and more people just attracted to TVs in general. Some are outside in the rain, some are on windowsills, they are all over. In one area, Mono actually finds himself a universal TV remote, which kind of works, and he's able to turn TVs on and off throughout the city. It's a pretty cool mechanic. It's like having a portal gun. Yeah, it makes every TV a portal. So I don't know if you remember those trash ass fucking infomercials for universal TVs and shit. The remotes, yeah. Yeah, but it's just what Mono has now. So it's great. On a rooftop, he once again sees the signal tower with the bright white light flowing out into the city. And on the same rooftop, there's five men standing right on the edge, staring at its glow. They're not fully adults, but they're certainly, you know, teenagers. They're 19, like in Titanic. One by one, each of them let their bodies collapse over the edge of the roof and plummet stories down below. Oof, that's a rough way to go. It's a hell of a thing. Some of the TV jumping does play like Portal, while where others feel like straightforward, just environmental puzzles. So some are a little trickier than others. Often there are TVs being watched by groups of viewers that are just full zombies staring off at the white screen and aimlessly flowing with the white glow. 
At times, they're even capable of breaking down gates to get to glowing screens. So Mono does have to be careful with which TVs he turns on and off from here. Yeah, because he's using it kind of as a distraction, too. So you have like a group of the viewers and they're watching the TV and you turn off their TV. And so they immediately like, where the fuck is another on TV? And they like frantically search for another one to be on. And they turn into kind of zombies in that sense. Oh, it fully turns into zombie hordes. It's great. Yeah. And you can, yeah, you can really piss them off. Like, they get angry really quick. Which is wild. They don't have eyes. Yeah. <laughs> which is why there's nothing on the TV. It's just the whole, like, idea that there's a screen and I need to be in front of it. They're being pulled to the glow. Mono finds one TV and actually sees the outline of six on the screen. He reaches through to pull her out and she is stopped by the thin man. He grabs at her and pulls her back in. And then crawls through the tv screen to take care of mono and like you keep saying the thin man but if you're trying to picture him it's slender man <laughs> with a hat on with a hat on yeah it's slender man <laughs> with a hat on 100 <laughs> percent. and when you say a hat it's like one of those like wide brim just hats mono evades the thin man and starts crawling under floorboards while the thin man walks around looking for him the thin man bends down and looks for Mono through holes in the floor. So Mono has to be extra silent, extra careful, and is having so much extra anxiety over this motherfucker. Yeah, this is another one of those like heartbeat moments. Ugh. Mono escapes and hides out in a train car, but is still being stalked by the thin man, who is able to phase or teleport to new spots to find you. So even as Mono is progressing, the thin man's always just right behind him. And you can see him kind of appear and just show up to be like fuck you mono i'm gonna get you yeah literally nothing can stop him uh, it's horrifying mono jumps through a couple abandoned train cars to get away and the thin man just watches on while mono gets in a loose train car releases the car away from the rest of the train and goes down deep into the subway thankfully at least at this point leaving the thin man behind while this was, like, admittedly a great plan, Mono is just now somewhere off in a subway stop in a strange city, unsure of how to find his friend. He sees glimmers of Six's outline as he gets up, as if she's, like, in a ghostly state, leading him back to her. Yeah, it's like she's made out of static from the TV. Yeah. Her outline is dark, like it's that dark static, and shines in and out for Mono to see through some pieces of light. Her outline does, helpfully, though, lead him back to a ladder, so he can get out of the station. And he's like, I gotta go find my fucking friend. What the fuck? Yeah. Mono climbs out of a manhole cover in the rain and is even closer to the signal tower now. He sees its glowing white beams throughout the city. And there's a flash. And then down the block is the thin man. Mono peels that bag off his head and kneels before the thin man. His bag slides down the street in the rain, and Mono holds his hand out at the thin man. He isn't asking for a hand, though. He's extending his hand as a powerful warning. This knocks the thin man back, but he continues towards Mono through whatever pain he's going through. Mono tries harder with his hands to push the thin man away, making the streetlights flicker around him, and then the thin man drops to his knees. The thin man continues towards Mono, still making progress towards him, but bending and breaking under the pain with each step as Mono's powers continue to push. Eventually, they both fall into exhaustion and the thin man struggles to get back up. 
He's on his knees for some time, the wind peeling away at him, until suddenly in the rain, the thin man is gone again. And like this whole scene, it reminds me of two different movies, actually. And sorry to like have to keep comparing it to things, but like this is a hard thing to kind of picture just from description alone. And it's when Neo in the second Matrix movie kind of stops the squid creatures from flying at him. It's almost like they hit an invisible barrier. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening to the thin man here. It's like he's trying to advance on Mono, but then he's hitting like this invisible wall. And Mono is like creating it with his mind kind of situation. And then him kind of dissipating and floating away is again like Harry Potter when he kills fucking Voldemort. And then Voldemort just kind of turns into ashes and just dissipates and floats off into the air. You're a wizard, Mono. I'm fucking telling you. <laughs> the streetlights flicker and Mono holds his hands up to further bend the city around him, just like he did with the Thin Man. The buildings bend under Mono's power, and as the world shakes, Mono, now bagless, is at the feet of the signal tower. Oh, it's sick. Yeah, he just like basically changes reality around him to make the, the fucking signal tower closer to him. It's so wild. The doors open, and that same magenta hue we saw earlier glows from within. Mono goes to the doors and is like, I'm here to save my fucking friend. Mono is tearing ass down a hallway and gets into this room with floating objects. And it's this like dreamy, dusty float. We see chairs, tables, toys, and just kind of other things from the world we saw earlier again here. And there are lots of doors glowing magenta and some open to reveal MC Asher style stairwells that kind of just go up and through the building and kind of all crazy. Yeah, you saw something similar in like Labyrinth. Yeah, exactly. Some doors lead to their own mirror across the hall and Mono is only able to chase his own shadow by running through these doorways. It's repetitive and it's maddening at times. And it's a puzzle that you solve by listening to hear the ambient music of a child's music box. Yeah, you're like following this tune through these doors. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Mono follows these gentle tunes throughout to find the right pathways to take because you are, again, in this maze of doorways. And the doorways work like a Scooby-Doo hallway where they <laughs> run across and then they can come through another doorway down like closer to the front of the screen and right. then they come out the back one and shit like that. Through the tower, Mono finally comes up on a room full of toys with a music box on the ground in the center. This is the same music box we saw in the Hunter's home when we first met Six. This is the music box Six was playing with when we met her for the first time after destroying the door with the axe. When you came through as, here's Mono. Exactly that. <laughs> as Mono enters, a huge, huge, fucking huge, distorted version of Six appears. Now, she is bigger than the adults. She is hunched over on her knees, still barely able to fit in this room huge. Yeah. As she tall can, as a building. And her arms are all distorted and super long and lanky. And her raincoat like just completely covers her. And the thing that it looks like is like a giant nostril as her hair comes dangling out from the actual raincoat itself. Ugh. She comes in and crawls towards the music box and holds it in her giant hands. Mono is probably the size of one of her fingers at this point. Now she's lanky and she's long, just huge limbs. It's unlike anything we've seen so far. 
The room has piles of other toys, like stuffed animals, things like that, but she's only interested in the music box. Mono can call to Six, who crawls towards him with the music box in her grasp. At one point, she'll set the box down as she hunches over just to even exist in this space. Mono finds a hammer and pulls it over to smash the music box. As this happens, the screen cuts to black, and Mono wakes up alone in an empty, dark room. It then flashes back to the toy room, and big-ass Six is furious that Mono is trying to break her music box. Oh, she's throwing a fucking fit. She's fucking pissed. Just screaming. It's terrible. She crawls after him, reaching out to him with her weird long arms to smash Mono for what he did. She wails and her hair flies all over her face, covering it, and Mono runs through the tower, jumping through walls and windows. But big-ass Six is big and fast and crawls around after him. Yeah, she's existed in this room for a long time. She might be too big for it, but she knows how to move around in it. Yeah. After some chase, Six will go back to her music box with her arms around it to protect it, but Mono is determined to kill the music. Six is now in this room surrounded by four door portals, and the goal here is to trick her by pulling her attention away while Mono runs through some of these portals to come in and smash the music box and just whack at it. Between each hit, Mono wakes up alone in a dark room with a lone doorway and an axe in it. He has to take the axe, enter the doorway, and re-enter Six's room with her music box. As Six's music box begins to break apart under the weight of your attacks, the room further collapses. The walls here are falling through and rocks are crumbling around her, and she's just this wounded animal caught in a corner, flailing and screaming and desperately trying to protect her music box, while the one person she thought she could trust up until this point breaks it apart. It's terrible, too. She, like, really does not want you doing this. No. But also, you're like, but this is what's keeping you enslaved. Yeah, he's like, but this is your version of the TV. You're entranced by this. This is why you're all fucked up right now. This is for your own good, damn it. I'm trying to help you. Yeah. After enough swipes at the music box, we begin to see that the room wasn't all rubble, that it's also pulsing, and it's bulbous around six. She clings to her music box with what little energy she has left. Unfortunately, it's not a lot. She is fucking exhausted. The room swells and ebbs as it breathes with Six, equally as out of breath as she is. Mono's exhausted as well, but he picks up his axe to take one more swing at the music box, finally breaking it. Sound waves pour out of it, pushing Six back, and the box begins to bend. With one more hit, the music is dead. As this box breaks, Six is now back in her old body, as small as Mono one more time. So we finally have teeny tiny Six again, not big nostril Six. Yeah. She stands and looks at Mono, not sure what he's just done. The room begins to close in on itself, this bulbous intestines and mush collapsing with the occasional eyeball appearing, looking on at Six and Mono as they rush to escape and get the fuck away from this nightmare. These eyeballs come out of fucking nowhere. It is so unsettling when the eyeballs show up. Again, though, it's like Stray. Stray did the same thing. They had this yeah. one random room with these living eyeballs that are also watching this whole situation go down. It's almost like 
a Zerk Rat King situation. Like it's overgrown from that rot and whatever the Zerks are made out of. Yeah, entirely. And they've kind of merged into one creature. Yeah, but it's very similar to that. That's a great call out. Yeah, but this one, there's a ton of eyeballs watching you and it's fucking creepy. The required reading for this game is Stray. Yeah. (laughs) Six is just ahead of Mono as she rushes to get the fuck away from this collapsing building. And up in a corner, there's a big doorway glowing white just like those tv screens to get to the doorway there's a bridge and six makes it all the way over right when the bridge starts to collapse mono jumps out as the bridge just falls apart beneath him reaches out and six manages to look back and grab his arm she holds him over the edge and with one last look into mono's eyes she pulls her arm away Letting him fall down, down, down into this bulbous tower. Fucking six. Like I said, thought she was just desperate. She is just ruthless. Six turns and walks through that glowing white doorway, leaving Mono behind. The screen goes dark, and then Mono is seen standing on the glowing bulbous floor of this building. And it looks like an ocean, waving and flowing like a brain, but... It's simply the bodies that the tower is already captured and trapped within itself. The world is a field of blisters and eyeballs all looking and pulsing under Mono. Under one highlight, Mono finds a chair that he stands on, finally free of having something squishy and pulsing directly beneath his feet. The camera pulls back to show him surrounded by all these intestines and mushy shit, and they flash. And then Manu is alone in a room lit with magenta. There's no one else. Nothing pulsing. Nothing bulbous. It's just him. He sits in this chair and looks down. The chair is big enough for an adult, so he is very tiny in it. The screen goes dark. And then we see him again. He's sitting in the chair, but he's a little bit bigger. Kind of bully-sized. Almost big enough to fit in this chair. The screen goes dark again. We see him even older. Taller than the chair now, still sitting and looking down at his feet. One more flash and he's a grown man, sitting in the chair. One more flash and he's an old man, tall and thin. One more flash and he is the thin man in the hat. He sits on the chair. The colors have gone out of the light. And it's white and blue and dark and gray again. We see Mono in his suit. And we see Mono as he is fully meant to be. The Thin Man. He was the Thin Man the whole time! The whole time! The camera pulls back through the hallway. And as the door closes to keep Mono on the other side of it, we see the door with the eyeball from the hallway The scene from the beginning of the game now plays in reverse as we pull away, edging back from the hallway. The game ends. Fucking hell, little nightmares. (laughs) That was a big nightmare. (laughs) Like, you give me the time loop from Bendy and the Ink Machine. Did they have a single original idea in this entire damn game? Like, (laughs) TV bad, school bad, hospital scary. I mean, oh, it's no. it's a good game. It's not a bad game. Like, as far as the puzzle solving goes, the horror goes, it's a scary game. But it's not our most original take. 
it's a little derivative. I'll give you that. And I'm glad you bring up Bendy because, of course, famously, Bendy is an endless time loop that also opens with, like, tally marks on the fucking wall. And shit. Yeah. Um, and I do want to call out something fun in this world. Okay. So, similarly to Bendy and the Ink Machine, Little Nightmares had an iconic April Fool's Day prank that they did on social. Okay. Now, Bendy and the Ink Machine released a trailer for a game called Bendy Royale. Do you right. remember this? Yeah, and it's like a battle royale with a bunch of Bendy and the Ink Machine characters. Yeah, it's a Fortnite spoof with the aesthetic, and it, you know, it's all in that sepia tone, all the characters from Bendy and the Ink Machine. And Little Nightmares 2 said, bet. And they tweeted this on April 1st, 2021. It's chaos in the school kitchen. The most horrifying shit. Why would you do this? With the school lunch lady unexpectedly absent, one brave boy must do the impossible. Satisfy a cafeteria full of bullies with treats or he'll be the next ingredient in the pot. <laughs> Get ready to play the newest Little Nightmares adventure, cooking mono. And then they tweet out mono with instead of a bag on his head, a little like cook hat and his ladle <laughs> that he used to kill a bunch of bullies and then this bright yellow like fucking cooking mono logo that makes no sense aesthetically in this game and it's so fucking cute it's too cute for little nightmares indeed i will put it on the instagram because it brings me so much joy it's so bonkers but man bendy walked so so many could run and right. <laughs> <laughs> bendy hobbled so everybody else yeah. could run <laughs> that is the second little nightmares game well, it's not technically the second Little Nightmares game. It's just Little Nightmares 2 because there uh, was another Little Nightmares game that we talked about, Very Little Nightmares, Yes, that came out on mobile devices. Right, the one that came out in 2019. So two years after the first one and two years prior to this one. And that one, like, it is made to be just a mobile game, really. It is a puzzle-solving game just for you to waste as much time as humanly possible <laughs> are there microtransactions there aren't microtransactions that i could tell no because it's a full transaction game anyway you pay eight oh, bucks and it's yours got it okay but there's not too much of a story to it you are in your little yellow raincoat you're running through you're solving puzzles yada yada you're on this island castle thing that's floating in the air it's kind of ambiguous again creepy for the sake of being creepy more so than anything mm. I get you. Not telling a lot of story, but there's some really cool elements. Like, for example, you know, there's a lot of dodging lights and flashlights and stuff in the Little Nightmares universe. Yes. And in this one, they had these rotating lights that would move. And when they were on screen, it would add music to the background music. Oh, so you get kind of this layered experience throughout when that was happening? Yeah, and each one would move at a different pace, so they each had a different tune. And if you were huh. able to get them more than one on the screen at the same time, they still, like, flowed naturally <gasps> with each other. Wow. Even though these are lights moving at different paces and therefore having different tunes, but they layered together really well, like a fugue. That's some Knives Out Glass Onion shit. Yeah, it's a really well done thing for just a tiny little mobile game. And yeah, <laughs> that, that's overpowered for a mobile game, frankly. And like the only bit of story we get is honestly in the last, last, last two minutes of the game itself where they introduce a bad guy and just kind of have them chase you. A surprise bad guy at the very end. And like there's the long armed villains. There's some of the Ooh. creepy adult villains, but there's like this Veruca Salt bitch. <laughs> 
from Willy Wonka? From Willy Wonka or, you know, like a doofus Drake or a, a pokey, <laughs> just like the rich brat child that also lives in this home because it's like, like I said, it's kind of a castle that yeah. you're escaping from. And the entire time you're helping kind of another little lost child get through it as well. And we see the Veruca Salt bitch kind of chase you off a cliff. Oh, shit. And you both die. Oh, so it's definitely not six. No, it turns out the lost child was six and the fucking raincoat like floats up out of the water (gasps) and this child goes down and grabs the raincoat and takes it from them. Oh, shit. So now we have two origin stories for how six got the yellow raincoat, which is a problem, (laughs) which is why I don't think there is a timeline. Two little nightmares. Well, I mean, what we see with Mono turning into the Thin Man, there is some sort of looping happening. Exactly. There's a loop going on in at least that world. Yeah. Where they were. I want to say Little Nightmares, because also if you look at all the games in the Little Nightmares, we've got Little Nightmares 1. We have the DLC that came out. Right. Then we have Very Little Nightmares and Little Nightmares 2. And each game has a different protagonist as the playable character. That's true, yeah. Six is not the main playable character, even though it's the story of Six overall. Yeah. In all of these games, you don't play as Six in any but the very first one. That's true. You know, the developers did explore a co-op for two and then dropped it pretty quickly, like, in their phasing. So they that is a very deliberate point to your conversation. And they even released a shitload of digital comics on cell phones. So you can go on your phone. It's absolutely free. And I recommend it because it's really, really fucking well done. They made this great motion comics where you swipe up and it is very interactive and there's music and a whole thing. Oh, that's cool. But each one is, again, a completely different character. Really? And they're each just telling little stories within the Little Nightmares universes. Mono gets referenced. Oh. I believe that the very Little Nightmares girl gets referenced, That the main character from that one. Yeah. It's more the bad guys, like the big guy that's crawling mm. on the ceiling. He gets a comic appearance and stuff, Not chasing the a doctor. kid. Yeah, the doctor. So there's all sorts of creepy shit. And so I want to say it's more like James Bond. It's more like Zelda, where these are just individual stories. Even like, I would say, is it important that Temple of Doom is technically a prequel to the first Indiana Jones movie? It's not important at all. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I think that's the Little Nightmares universe. It doesn't matter where it takes place. Because there is the theory that Thin Man is the dangling legs at the beginning of the first Little Nightmares. Mm. But where does that happen in Little Nightmares too? Yeah. If we're seeing Mono stuck in this loop where he constantly has to confront himself and become himself and he's the only one that can beat him, where is he pulled into the maw? And like, where does that happen? Entirely. And, you know, if anything, you know, it could be that just Six ended up in this world after the maw. We don't know. And Mm -hmm. she lost her raincoat and then found it again. Because when she puts it on, it's with a sense of familiarity. And also she seems relieved once she gets it on. There is some comfort that is visible in her body motions when she puts it on. You're absolutely right. There's a sense of like, I feel more complete, even though, again, there's no words. Like this is all referring to how she's interacting with the world. But yeah, no, I certainly see that. So, you know, you can have a timeline if you want to try saying this is a prequel. It might not be. It could be a sequel. It could be anything. And I don't think 
it ultimately matters. It is an entry. <laughs> That's all you get. And they're like, we made it so confusing. We don't even know what's happening. So there's not going to be a third one. <laughs> Fuck all of you. Yeah. They're like, do you think we can do another one of these where it doesn't contradict itself? We're done. When you said that the writer of the first game was actually involved, I was kind of surprised. I was like, yeah. really? I, it, this doesn't feel like the same people wrote it, but apparently it did. Majority of the same group. Yeah. And Bondi's like, hell yeah. Fucking go confuse these kids. I don't give a shit. But it's like you hear about like an artist where or like a musician. It's they spent their whole lives writing that first album mm-hmm. and then they spent six months writing the second one. Yeah. No, it's it's hard to do the sophomore effort for sure after this is like your pet project and you've been ruminating on this world and this lore. And then how do you continue the story while still making it compelling? And, you know, I frankly think they did a really great job of elevating the gameplay and the aesthetics. Like the aesthetics were this brand book is fucking airtight. Like you can look at any screen and be like, that is exactly little nightmares. You'll never get it confused for another game ever. But that's very true. They kept very much to the aesthetic of little mm-hmm. nightmares. They kept the game, as you said, elevated. I think yeah. it is an elevated version of the first game entirely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I do appreciate that you bring up kind of the allegories and the parallels to real life horror and like the Holocaust alignments from the first game, because I think that is a bit lost within this title where it's a little more. Oh, gosh, I don't want to say science fiction, but yeah, horror to be horror Um, that Twilight Zone era energy is kind of more throughout this where the first one was like how can i kind of hold up a mirror and discuss these topics in a surreal way where this was let's be surreal (laughs) yeah because i mean granted in the first one we are so secluded literally on an island of the mall and it only represents a very tiny portion literally the one percent right and so this is an area where we were dropped into the rest of the world. And if the 1% are descending into eating children, that means the rest of the world's really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and so we got to see what the rest of this fucked up world looks like. Yeah. At least in this game. And I thought that was a really fascinating thing. And it looks way worse than you could ever imagine. <laughs> Shit's bad. Society has not just collapsed. It has disintegrated. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah. But, you know, it's a... F- They created a really fun world. I've got to give them credit for that. I think it is an effective horror game. I think it is scary as shit. I think it's a great puzzle game as well. Would you? I saw a list that classified this as a cozy game, and I really want to rebuke that. Oof. I don't know how you stay cozy with this one. This seems, this would be frustrating. Yeah, I find this anxiety driving. I find this, you can have spooky cozy games. Like in our latest newsletter, I talked about Cult of the Lamb, which is spooky as fuck and such a good cozy game. But I saw, I was looking up cozy games that were spooky because that's where my jam is right now. And that's how I found Cult of the Lamb. But I saw one that had Little Nightmares 1 and 2 listed as good cozy games, and I was like, for fucking who? I would put the first Bendy game as a cozy game above this one. Yeah, and that's not a cozy game if there's jump scares. Right. That's the opposite of cozy. The fuck? But over this game entirely. Yeah, entirely, but... For what it's worth, I think it's a good rainy day game. I think if you want to be in this autumnal or perhaps winter solstice aesthetic and feel bad (laughs) it's the feel bad game feel Um, bad game of the year yeah you know it's it's up there uh but i'm glad thank you for everyone that's stuck with us if you stuck with us this long again we are retiring some episodes but they will always be available for our patreons who want to listen to some stuff that may or may not make me cringe sometimes but 
That also means we have so much more content coming out for you to make up for the episodes we're archiving. So please subscribe. Stay tuned with us. We have another episode coming out next week. That's going to be very, very long oh and my very, gosh. very fun. Next week is going to be a massive falls to the wall fucking game. And also our Patreon listeners are going to get an almost equally as massive DLC episode over there on the Patreon the same day that we drop it because this game is so fucking huge and I'm so excited <laughs> for it and I'm so scared because it is quite the undertaking but <laughs> I have promised I have set us up for this and uh, I'm really excited. And there is a hint in one of our reels on our Instagram for that game. We have a cosplay reel and there is a piece of cosplay that relates to it. So Oh, I've teased multiple times through this season. You can hear a tease in the Earthbound episode. You can hear a oh. tease in the Kingdom Hearts episode. I'm in that one. Oh, yeah. You can hear a tease all throughout the entire season because this game is just that fucking big. I'm excited because I haven't played it and... I don't have the time to, so I'm just really excited to hear about it, so I'm stoked. Oh no, you somehow have a bigger game after that. Yeah, I'm fucking stoked. <laughs> we have two more episodes coming out for the rest of the season, but they are two of the biggest games we've ever done, so please don't be sad that the season's ending. Be glad that it happened or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's not about the ending, it's about the journey. <laughs> well, sometimes it's about the ending, and this ending was fucking wild. Anyway, we have two more episodes coming up, and then we're going to be offline for a little while. We'll play some more games for you before season seven, but if you stuck with us this far, thank you so much. We are so grateful. If you want to support the show, you can visit our website, theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. You can check out our merch. You can check out our Patreon. You can get in touch with us. You can join our Discord to talk to us directly. You can give us feedback. You can give us fucking corrections for these games. If I fuck up, please tell me. Yeah, we're not perfect. No. I try, but man, we do our best. The research can only go so far, but we appreciate you. We adore you. Thank you for sticking with us. And you know what? Don't put on raincoats. I think that's probably the big key here. Yes. <laughs> Stay out of school. Stay out of school and don't wear raincoats. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Goombas. Until next time, this is Tom and Andrea reminding you don't skip the cutscenes. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.